Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Reading today comes from Psalm 91 as we finish our series on the Psalms. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely he will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wing you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You only, only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the most high your dwelling, no harm will overtake you. No disaster will come near your tent, for he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will, not, uh, you will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample on the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, we have a treat. Uh, today we have someone uh, special giving their uh, first sermon ever with us. Kaylin Winters has been with us this summer as uh, helping kick off our Vine Youth Ministry. She just finished Abilene Christian University and is heading to seminary come fall. You're starting in a couple weeks, aren't you? Yeah. Okay, so this has been a nice reprieve here in Austin, Texas, in between undergrad and grad school. But I've been super excited to hear Kaylin share. So would you please welcome Kaylin? Okay, hey guys, I'm Kaylin. Um, like Mark has said, I've been here all summer working with Vine Youth. I've been working with our fourth graders and up. We've done Bible studies every week. We've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, but we've also been painting, we've been swimming, we've played all kinds of games. My new favorite is pickleball, so ask Dylan and Ruby all about that. Um, It's been a great time. I have the best job out of everyone on staff. I love it so much. Um, I've wanted this job for a while now, but not necessarily like the youth pastor job. That's not entirely my thing. I love the kids, but it's not necessarily my thing forever. Just the job of communicating and cultivating a space where God is able to flow freely. The church job, this job right here. This, like Mark said, is my first sermon ever. I've taken classes on this thing. I've done baby sermons before, but never anything this long and never enough to cross it off my bucket list. This is my bucket list. (laughs) It's a really serious list to me, actually. They aren't things that I think are going to be impossible for me to do. They're just going to be difficult. But some of them I could do today. 
Get a tattoo that doesn't mean anything to me. I could do that today. Go to the movies by myself. I don't know why I haven't done that one yet. Run a marathon, which I could do today, but I would not be having a good time tomorrow. Some of them are really difficult or really expensive to cross off. See the northern lights. Fly a blimp. If you guys didn't know, there's only like 25 blimps in the world, so I really want to fly one. Australia, in all caps. Or some of them aren't complicated, but they're really obscure and they're really specific. And I just don't know if I'll ever get to a point where I can actually complete them. Go to Bass Pro Shops in Memphis, Tennessee, buy a fishing pole, catch a fish with it. If you don't know what the Bass Pro Shops look like, Google it now. Memphis, Tennessee, do it now before we like dive into the Bible. Um, be in Puxatawney, Pennsylvania for Groundhog Day. It's where Groundhog Day originated. Take the midnight train going anywhere. I don't know what that means yet, but I'll figure it out when it's time. But the one that has consistently sat at the top of the list has remained the same ever since the day I began to create it. Preach a sermon on a Sunday morning in front of a full congregation. It's not easy. It's not necessarily difficult. But it's obscure, it's specific in a way different from anything else on the list. And it trumps the rest of the list. If I had the time to give you my full life story right now, I might. If you want to hear it, all you have to do is ask. I love coffee. But for now, all you really need to know is that this is pretty big for me. The first time I ever saw a woman stand in front of a congregation and preach God's word absolutely changed my life. The microphone a preacher holds is one of the most important microphones I believe a person can hold because you have an imperfect human speaking for a perfect God. It's a lot of pressure even when it's not the number one thing on your bucket list. So just imagine the pressure I'm under here. It's pretty big. But we can dive in. Psalm 91. The truth about Psalm 91 is that we don't really need a ton of context some scholars believe it's the work of Moses. Some will say David. doesn't really matter. It's one of those psalms that just kind of works for everyone. This psalm is just about God, our protector. He who dwells in the shelter of the Lord Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. He will deliver you. You will not fear. A thousand may fall at your side, but it will not come near you. When I read this, I'm a little struck at how confident the author is. It's kind of ridiculous, right? This is a human writing here. We're all humans. I can't imagine writing like that. And every time he writes as of a protective action of God, he doesn't use might. He doesn't use will. No, he doesn't use hopefully, probably, anything like that. He does use will. Nothing else. There's no doubt in him. He only uses the word will because he's so confident in God right here. Charles Spurgeon writes that faith is at its best when the psalm is written. The psalmist believes that God will protect him. No more, no less. So imagine me a month and a half ago when I chose the psalm. I decided I'm going to preach it on July 31st, the last psalm of the series. We've been here all month. I'm super excited. It's the number one item on my bucket list. It's not taking the midnight train. It's not seeing the northern lights. But it's a pretty big deal to me. It's the microphone women have fought for years that I might get the chance to speak into. It's the microphone I'm going to use to preach my first sermon. 
I will preach the perfect sermon. Now imagine me a month ago, July 1st, it's time to start preparing. I have 30 days to get this together. I'm gonna spend some time with God on this. I read the text, it doesn't necessarily hit in the way that I need it to and having a hard time figuring out where I wanna go with this. I read it and I read it and I read it every day until I find something. Now imagine me a week ago. I still have nothing. This has to be my best work ever. My family will be so proud of me, my mentors, my professors, my friends, and the people of the congregation that I've come to know and love. They're all gonna be listening. And I still have no pen to paper here. I go to a coffee shop, I read, I read again, I read again. I open up my laptop to write some things down. My laptop is dead. My charger is at home. So all I have is my journal. We're gonna do it the old school way. This is what my journal entry looked like. This is how every iconic sermon origin story goes, right? The Lord is my refuge and my fortress, right? Lord help me, I'm supposed to read this out loud for Mark in a few days. I take a few steps back into the psalm. What is this psalm teaching me? See, I was so focused on communicating who the God of, that it protects is to you guys that I hadn't even managed to trust him enough to protect a single word that I wrote on my paper. I wanted so desperately to tell you about the God that I know is a protector, but for some reason my humanity managed to leave out the fact that he protects me too. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High, who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. I'm protected, you're protected, what else can we do? At the end of the psalm, we see the narration shift. We start to hear from God. Because he, as in we, hold fast to him in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. For all this, for all this protection, all we have to do is love. We just have to know his name. So, Another thing about me is that I love a good question. The welcome question of the week is my favorite part of the entire sermon. Every day I wake up and I try to have a question of the day, just in case I meet someone new or need to strike up a conversation. I have a list of questions also in my notes app. It's one of my favorite apps on my phone. I would delete every social media before I would delete my notes app. These are just a couple of the questions. I think it goes down to like 150 now. And every time a question of the day is good enough, it makes the list. For years I've been working on this. Comes up when I'm sitting around a campfire, first time meeting someone, new group of people, bored at work. I love a good question. One of my favorites came up pretty early on. What's one small thing that makes your day 100 times better? Number six. My answer has always been the same. When people say my name. When people that I don't think know my name prove to me otherwise, when I think it's gonna be spelled wrong, and it isn't. When someone I love puts in the effort to greet me with my name. And it isn't necessarily that I get upset or I get frustrated when 
someone I love doesn't call me by my name or someone I don't expect to know my name doesn't know my name. It doesn't make me not like them anymore, but I like them this much more when they do. It feels special for me. Why wouldn't God feel the same way? Here's another way of looking at it. I live in Abilene for half the week this summer. I have a couple jobs and I drive back and forth. But during the school years, I live in Abilene full time. And I just moved into a new house with my best friends as my roommates. Every night, we walk outside to the front porch around the time that the sun is setting, the can of bug spray, and our cat on a leash. This slowly began to become a regular thing for us. Yard time is what we called it. You won't believe how it changed after we came up with the name. It has become such a routine that our cat begins to meow at the door when she knows it's time. We have regular guests. The neighbors walk by and sometimes they even come up and say hi. We, have, we wave at every car that passes. Some days are filled with conversations and some days are just filled with the sweetest silence you've ever heard. There's a long-term vision once the school year starts that our neighbors, that our college students will all come for yard time and we don't know if that's actually gonna happen but it's pretty fun to think about. Yard time has held some of our sweetest moments so far in this house, and I pray every day that it will continue to be the restful way that I get to end my day with the people I love. It was through a yard time conversation the other day that we realized, sure, yard time would probably still exist. I'm a sunset type of person, so I, I'll go out there and watch the sunset, whether we have a name for it or not, but naming it, that, that changed it. We have something to invite people to if we want to. We have something to put in our calendar if we wanted to. Yard time is it's my favorite part of the day when I live in Abilene. So this psalm, it is a psalm for Moses. It's a psalm for David. It's a psalm for Jesus. It's a psalm for Paul, for you, and for me. It's a psalm for anyone with a name. Anyone who can understand the power of being known and loved by name. It's a psalm for the heart which desires oh so desperately a God who is love, a God who protects. A psalm for a human heart. I think of the way that a baby reaches for someone to hold it when it can't stop crying. Or the way that I run to my safe place when anxiety is overwhelming me. The way that churches fill up when big world events happen and nobody else knows what to do. We're desperate for protection. We're desperate for love. It's in the way that we're wired. I know the psalm can be hard to read because I still experience pain. You do too. It seems to be promising something that's not that. But I think the psalmist paints a picture here about protection. I think he's trying to communicate a promise of love with a vessel of protection. God our creator, then becomes God our protector, then becomes God our redeemer, our shepherd, our healer, our Ebenezer, so many names for God, and they all mean so much. This psalm gives a small amount of insight as to what one name for God will look like, but it gives us all the more insight into his love for us and our desperation for him. This is what I believe the human heart needs the psalm for, not to get us through 
spooky nights or stop the hard things from happening. We need this psalm so that we may, we may begin to understand the simultaneous simplicity and complexity of God's love for humanity. The psalmist spends 15 verses talking about God's love for us, how he will protect us no matter what. There's one verse that talks about what we do. Hold fast to him in love, call to him by name. It's hardly even a promise. It's kind of worded like we do it on our own anyways, and I would agree that we do. It's in our hearts to desire a God that is love. It's in his heart to desire us. That's why he sent us Jesus, to fulfill not only our need for him, but his need for us. So I'm not going to tell you to run to your Bibles and deconstruct your entire working theology around why you don't love God enough. I don't think that's what the psalm is about. God created us. He has so much confidence in our love for him. He doesn't need us to work on that. The psalm asks us to lean into that. So when you have to go back to regular life tomorrow and the big bad world, all you really need to know from this psalm is that you're loved You're protected in the most intentional way you can imagine. As we move now into another time of worship, I just want to encourage you to take a second to pause, reflect on this psalm. Reflect on the protection that we find from God and the the love that it all comes out of. It's a vessel for the deepest love a human can really experience. The beautiful experience it is to be known and to be loved by name. So, let's lean in. We hope you found this message encouraging. If you would like to learn more about The Vine, get connected to our community, or contribute financially to The Vine's ministry, go to our website at thevineaustin.org.